Hello, I'm Katie Piper, and welcome to my podcast, Katie Piper's Extraordinary People. Each episode, I'll meet an amazing person with an incredible story who faced adversity and came through the other side to inspire others. Today, I'm talking to E.J. Osborne, a super extraordinary person. He's a talented woodworker and a BBC TV presenter on the show Money for Nothing. After being born in the wrong body, he came out as trans four years ago, and he talks with amazing humour and honesty about his incredible life story. So, first of all, welcome Hello. to my <laughs> humble studio. We have never met before. We haven't. Um, but I suppose, as with all kind of social media platforms, I feel like I know a small bit about you from what you post on Instagram. And what becomes apparent from your account straight away is you're super talented with your woodwork. Oh, you're very kind, Oh, it's Katie. amazing. I was like, is this just stock photography? Does he really make this stuff? Yeah, yeah. Oh, <laughs> uh, well, thank you. Recently, you used that platform for something um, quite out of the ordinary of, of, of what you normally post. Um, for anyone that hasn't seen this hashtag, it's the 10-year challenge. I took part in it as well, where you posted a present-day photo of you and one of you 10 years ago. And not everybody, but a lot of people took it as a chance to be quite boasty and narcissistic to kind of show photos where their body looked better and they hadn't gained weight or they'd lost weight or their faces didn't look wrinkly, even though our faces do get wrinkly, you know, <laughs> 10 years on. Um, and it kind of annoyed me because it started shaming people into like, oh, I can't really post one because I don't look better or I look worse or I look the same. But I really admired what you used the hashtag for. Yeah. So you got a big reaction. Can you <laughs> can you tell the listeners who haven't seen your post? what you did so I I've been laid up in bed with flu actually and I kept seeing the 10-year challenge hashtag you know because I was on social media scrolling through it got quite big it got big it got big and like you I was like no come on you know this there were a few good ones yeah but a lot of it looked sort of quite vacuous to me And I thought, ah, right, come on, I got one. (laughs) And, you know, it was with thought because I have been thinking for quite some time that, you know, I kind of, I've got a very privileged life. I'm really lucky. You know, I've got a house, I'm married, we've got a daughter, I've got my own business, I've got this great TV job. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I also happen to be transgender. Mm -hmm. And um, Is this something that was a secret? No, no, uh, not at all. It's never been a secret. Mm -hmm. But I am not a um, kind of skip down the street with flags, blowing whistles kind of person. I just get on with my life, you know, Mm -hmm. and it's no secret at all. Everybody around me knows, friends, family. Um, I just don't really talk about it. Mm -hmm. But this 10-year challenge really inspired me because I thought, hang on a minute. You know, I've also being around on social media and every time I pop my head out of my quite privileged bubble, Mm -hmm. you know, granted it is kind of online that I see more of this, but I'm like, wow, it's hard out there. There's Mm -hmm. there's hate going on. There's all kinds of stuff going on with, you know, um, minority groups and Mm -hmm. people, you know, that really need some help. And I just thought, right, I think that, visibility is so important for marginalised groups. Mm -hmm. And although I don't think I have anything particularly amazing to give, I thought, you know what, I'm going to hold my hand up 
a bit more publicly because if I just do that and go, hi, look, over here, you know, I'm doing this, that and the other, you know, I've got a wife, got a child, you, you too, can, you can have a house, you mm-hmm. can be happy, you can have laughter in your life mm-hmm. every day. Did your followers and the people that watch you on telly, was it a known thing about you ahead of you posting that? I think um, some people uh, put it together because I'm only a few clicks away on Google. Because me sat opposite you now, I would not know that no. without oh, your tenure. Thanks. Well, it's not apparent is what I mean. Yeah. You know, without you posting yeah. that. Yeah. You know, I did think about it. I thought, oh, my God, what what kind of can of worms is this going to open? Because mm-hmm. it's all very well doing something for the good of the people. Mm-hmm. But as well, I have to weigh it up. Yeah, and you've got, your own, you've got your public life, you've got your private life. Exactly. But you know what? I am so comfortable with who I am that it really doesn't matter. My history... It's quite colourful, it's quite rich, and I'm quite proud of that history. So what a nice description. I don't care. <laughs> you know, because I'd be like, oh, my history's dodgy. No, that's like a really great way to re- reframe it. Colourful and rich. Um, yeah, it's, 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 I can't have this without having that. So mm-hmm. why, why should I be ashamed? And also, to me, knowledge is power. So mm-hmm. when I first started appearing on telly, I did, again, have a brief kind of, you know, oh, I'm only a few clicks away on Google from people knowing my past. Yeah, because when you do stuff in the public eye, you have to be prepared for everything yeah. in your past to possibly be broadcasted. Yeah. But then, you know, it's I'm just like, no way. You know, I'm doing this. I've worked hard yeah. for this opportunity and I am taking it because if I don't take opportunities because of fear... Mm. Um, what was the fear? Fear of the unknown. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, what is going to happen, I'm, I will be extremely exposed. Mm. Um, but actually, my workaround is always just to be fabulous. Mm-hmm. Keep okay. on going. Yeah. So Pave you did... the way and just I'm just having it. And just, well, no, but, it's, but it's just authentically you, isn't it? It is. That's the it thing. Is. There is no kind it of farce or... No. no kind of, I mean, when you did do this 10-year challenge... You know, Instagram, people can write what they want. What was the response like in the comments? Amazing. I kind of stayed up way past midnight watching these. (laughs) I was like, right, that my thumb was hovering over that delete button. I was like, there's going to be some stuff. But actually, it was amazing. I mean, my Instagram is largely focused on and always has been Mm. craft. My mm-hmm. craft, what I do, I very rarely post selfies and stuff because it's all about my work. Mm-hmm. And um, you know, th- there was there were certain things that I was like, "Oh, this is this is really going to kind of open it out." Was using the hashtag transgender because mm-hmm. usually my hashtags are like walnutwood, yeah. forest, <laughs> axe, knife. Slightly you know. more colourful than walnutwood. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And so I thought this is going to reach a, a potentially a larger audience anyway. Mm-hmm. Um, so I better stay up and monitor the situation because I don't want any hate on there. Mm-hmm. There's nothing anyone can say to me that would be anything I haven't already thought of. And, you know, have you been fighting this battle all your life? Like, what what was your family set up like? How easy was it to transition? Well, um, God, that's a big question, Casey. It is, <laughs> and we've got 50 minutes. So <laughs> let me see if I can uh, condense that a little bit. Um, 
I feel quite lucky in one sense. I mean, I like to always see the positives. Do you believe in, in luck? Do you, do you really think luck is a... Uh, I believe in opportunities. Okay. And I believe in... I feel really quite lucky that I can take opportunities and make them into something. I think it's quite entrepreneurial yeah. in, in a sense. Well, that's your hard work. That's you seeing an opportunity and having the confidence to go and, you know, turn it into something good and, and essentially the hard work. Mm. But in relation to transition, mm. the positive, because obviously I, I sort of, I've always known. But back when I was little, I couldn't really express that very well. And also there wasn't a language then. We were talking back in the 70s. Mm -hmm. No, I'm knocking on a bit now, Katie. <laughs> there wasn't so you're what, 40? <laughs> I'm 43. 43 now. So it's a completely yeah. different era. Yeah, so I came out... Um, to my family, to my wife at 39. You know, we'd already been together eight years, but oh, I probably okay. need to rewind that. So back right. back when I was little, there was no language around it. Mm -hmm. and what, I, what age do you remember having oh, feelings? three. Okay. Three, I felt that something was very different about me. Mm -hmm. And I definitely... You know, I'm I'm taking it back and, th and explaining it to you with my adult brain, but I really do remember being little and understanding that this was a gender issue. Um, I didn't identify with little girls, mm -hmm. and I couldn't quite explain why that was. Mm -hmm. I remember I tried, but there was so much confusion mm -hmm. that... Um, I just gave up doing that. And I and I managed to kind of cope. I just buried it very, very deep. But wasn't it scary? Like, you know, when you're so young and you've got no life experience and you can't explain certain things, mm. you can't rationalise to yourself. Like, did you think, am I ill? Am I in the wrong life? Mm. Am I in the wrong family? Mm. You know, am I dying? Like, you know, if you're so young and, and you, there's no awareness out yeah. there. Yeah, I just felt like something was wrong. And, you know, I think when you're little you don't really have the capacity to understand as well as you do when you're older exactly what is wrong. It's just something is wrong. So, um, I, you know, I remember there's that stereotype, isn't it? People talk about things like toys. Right. People tend to think it's a... Um, society has constructed these things and you've got the blue and the pink issue mm -hmm. and the kind of boys' toys and the girls' toys. Well, back then, it was really... Society was really gendered mm -hmm. and that is what I had to work with. Mm -hmm. I did like a few girls' toys, um, but I really identify more with the kind of, like, guns and trucks and cars mm -hmm. and you couldn't get me in a dress. There was absolutely no way. No fancy hair and actually... My parents were actually quite cool in the sense that they really didn't force um, girls' toys or clothes upon me. Like, I went mm. around in my, you know, in my kind of boys' clothes mm. and, and with my boys' toys. So that was actually quite cool. Brilliant. Um, but I remember from an early age, I used to overhear uh, discussions about, you know, me being a tomboy. Mm -hmm. And even from an early age... I would be, I would get so cross mm -hmm. because I knew what tomboy meant mm -hmm. and I knew I wasn't that. Mm -hmm. So, you know, life went on and actually I didn't really outwardly struggle. Mm -hmm. you know, well, I, you mean because you were good at hiding it? Yeah, I think I'm, 
I took it on. I, I internalised it. I just buried it. That's basically. tough. And I, mani- I managed to cope. And I know mm. that, you know, loads of kids don't. Mm. Loads of teenagers don't. Loads of adults don't. No. Um, but I managed to bury it. And the, how I buried it was I got really busy. With creative stuff. With everything, yeah. Right. Even in, as a kid mm-hmm. and as a teen, I was very busy. Mm-hmm. And I moved to London and then I was partying. Right, okay. So were you destructive? I stayed really busy. Uh, Just lots of parties, lots of projects, lots of work, and Mm -hmm. going from one to the other. What was the work? So I used to, for years and years and years, I worked in bars. Okay, so you're very, you're putting yourself out there in front-facing roles. You know, it's a sociable thing where you're going to get people who might be uninhibited and drunk and ask you questions. and You know, you weren't hiding. Well, at some point in my teens you know, I realised that I liked girls. Mm -hmm. So that was quite convenient in a way because I kind of fitted into this, you know, I just thought, well, I'll just be a gay woman. Yeah, and and that's easy for people to label, isn't it? Well, I kind of fitted right in there Mm. from, from... an outsider's point of view. But and is that what your parents thought? Were you, did you well, sort of... yeah, so I, had, I, I came out, which was in itself, that was, that was quite difficult. <laughs> because, really? Well, even when I did that, I knew that, that it wasn't quite right. Yeah. But it was, it was the best place for me at the time, mm-hmm. I felt. Yeah. Um, because I think by that point as well, I'd buried the trans stuff so deep mm-hmm. that I wasn't even thinking about it yeah and were there any at that time was there anything in the media or any role models or was it still a subject that wasn't tackled no I didn't really see I mean you know you I think you had trans people of course you did Mm -hmm. but it's nothing that I had come across so this whole period in your life did you have anyone you could secretly confine in no I probably did but I didn't (laughs) do you know what I mean I I got so used to denying myself so had you intent? Was your big plan just to never ever transition? Never were you just going to stay? A- well, there was no plan because I had completely switched it off. I mm. thought I'd turn that tap off mm-hmm. tight and proper, and nothing was going to ever flow out of it again. And so what happened is I, you know, I went through my twenties doing all the usual stuff that most twenty-year-olds do. Um, you know, lots of relationships, lots of mistake making. Yeah, and. It's interesting that you said earlier that, you know, you'd never know, mm. looking at me. Uh, well, actually, back then you'd never know either because I I kind of made an effort. Mm-hmm. I made an effort to look female. Um, so nobody would ever have known mm. back then. So I um, carried on being busy in various different forms. So you're in London. In London, was in London for 18 years. Wow. Uh Met my wife. Right. Uh, well, she's now my wife. Uh, we got together. Again, you know, never never said anything. It wasn't that I was not trying to say anything. Mm. Again, it was just buried so deep. I wasn't having that conversation. But you didn't know in within yourself at this point? Um, no. I. It, this was something that, you know, from probably 15, 16... Mm. Right up until my mid-30s, I had completely switched it off. Okay. I'd not thought about it. I did feel that something was wrong. It's just that I could no longer identify what was wrong. Mm. And so Um, when you met your wife, were you in your 30s then? 
Yeah, so how long ago was that now? Uh, we've been together. This year we would have been together for 12 years. Oh, wow, okay. So um, when I came out, we were together, we'd been together for eight years. Uh-huh. And, um, you know, I'm not somebody that kind of ends up on the floor crying, but one day I did. When I, I think it was about 30, almost, I was almost 39. Uh-huh. And... Um, it came from nowhere. It did the, do, you think, <laughs> do you think the tap just burst the, the, and you the, got a leak? The, some, some, some rubber washer went somewhere. Yeah. <laughs> and then Thames water didn't um, answer. Yeah, it, and it, it started just... off as a little pss and then it went, you know, and it completely, I was, I was on, the, on our kitchen floor kind of in a heap. What a release. You know, um, I think I was actually, that is so strange in itself for me. Mm-hmm. Totally out of character. That I could almost, I was almost looking down on myself doing that. That That's how odd it was. Mm-hmm. That's um, the it's an out-of-body experience. It was an out-of-body experience, but I knew what it was as soon as it happened. Mm. And my wife came downstairs um, to make a bit of toast. <laughs> She's like, you're so dramatic. What's wrong now? Well, she was <laughs> like, oh my God, what's wrong? What's, what's happened? Wrong with, what, what, yeah. What's wrong with you? And it seems quite funny now, but it really wasn't at the time. <laughs> um, but I just, you know, looked up with these tears and I was like, I'm trans. Wow, <laughs> so, what a moment though. Yeah, I mean, yeah, and it all came courage. flooding out. And um, there was a moment, a brief moment of silence. And um, she said, right, come on, we need to, we need to get you sorted. We need to get you what you need. Whatever that is, my goodness, and I, knew, I would have cried again. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I knew from the moment she said that 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 was coming from a place of, you know, the best, the best possible place. Well, oh, a place of love. A place of love. Um, we both really well, didn't quite know what that meant, but mm. we were, you know, we were in it together, and um, I was going to do something about it. So at that point was when I decided, within twenty four hours, that I was going to medically transition because that's a big choice you know like you could have lost your marriage so that, I could that, have lost that my one marriage. sentence could yeah. have lost you everything you'd built your happiness on in the same 24 hours lots of things entered my mind and one of them was this could be the end of my marriage but also I was very hopeful that it wouldn't because you know the reason that I am with my wife is because she is an amazing person she's extremely open-minded she's a lovely lovely woman but we did decide that we would take it one day at a time because obviously that's not what she signed up for (laughs) but but it opens up the debate doesn't it do you you fall in love with the person and is that defined by the you know I think whatever gender my husband chose to be he'd still be Richie who I love yeah I wouldn't I wouldn't not love him because it's essentially is it still the same person well we we had been together what was it yeah eight years by then yeah and you know we we haven't actually had many really really deep conversations about this because it's really simple from the sort of get-go you know my wife said well whatever the, 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 the basis is that we met on. Yeah. You know, it gets to a certain point and really I'm gender blind. I just see EJ, I love you. I love you, but we'll still see how this goes because neither of us know mm. how this is going to unfold. Mm-hmm. Um, so interestingly, 
with me personally, I, you know, I can't speak for all trans people, mm. but in my medical transition, you, you're bobbling along mm-hmm. and you kind of get to this halfway marker where you are quite gender neutral because mm-hmm. you're changing. Mm-hmm. Um, one of the sort of most heartwarming things that has really got me in my process of transition is that I think, you know, I'd gone past that neutral kind of stage and, mm. I, and I was, you know, starting to get to a point where, you know, we call it passing, mm-hmm. um, where you, you'll get... I personally started getting gendered properly and you think, yeah, this is it. This is... I've passed that mark. This is it. I now, I now pass. Mm-hmm. But the, one of the nicest things I've ever heard is that um, my wife said to me one day, she said, do you know what? I, I prefer you as a man mm-hmm. because you are just so much happier. You know, it's it's really quite simple. It's this simple thing and you flourished and you're so much happier. And seeing somebody this happy is really attractive. Of course. And well, I this, was like, yes! Yeah, but, but this <laughs> is like the essence of what beauty is yeah. and what confidence is because the the person that is the most happiest is the most attractive. Exactly. And irrelevant of yeah. like aesthetics, gender, Absolutely. skin colour, yeah. body weight, you know. Yeah. It's so interesting because when I first um, got burnt, I kind of went through the horrible period um, of all the names, you know, people shouting freak at me in the street, um not really wanting to go in and pay for stuff at Tills and just buying everything online. Did you go through a dark period? The thing is, I have never got any hate. So I'm aware mm-hmm. that I will get some. Yeah. I mean, don't get me wrong, they'd be coming for me, Katie. <laughs> you know how it goes. The, After the, this the... podcast, <laughs> I'll ruin your life. <laughs> the, 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 the more your profile raises... Mm. And the more publicity you get, you know, all these numbers will will come or hate. It's just a game of probability, mm. right? The thing that I have always managed to bear in mind is that I'm I'm quite I feel quite lucky again because I know where hate comes from, mm-hmm. and I think once you understand where it comes from, you can have compassion. Once you've got compassion, nobody can touch you. The haters are just not happy mm-hmm. with themselves, with their day, with their week, with their life. Mm-hmm. And it's a form of, you know, that's It's a spewing. form of self-harm, don't you think? It is, it is. But because I understand where that comes from, it takes the sting out. It means nothing. It completely takes the sting out of it for me because I genuinely know I'm a good person. I think I'm pretty strong. Mm-hmm. I think I'm pretty strong. And I think knowing where hate comes from... Mm-hmm. Uh, and having compassion around it gives you an incredible amount of strength. Do you ever wonder how celebrities order food? Like, is Sarah Paulson a Diet Coke or a regular Coke girlie? (laughs) Some peasant Coke? No. Or how does Sofia Vergara order a pizza? No, no tomatoes. I cannot eat tomatoes. Are you killed mushrooms? Not really. (laughs) If these are the details you need, and I know you do, I have the podcast for you. I'm Jesse Tyler Ferguson, and on my podcast, Dinners on Me, I take some notable friends of mine out to dinners in Los Angeles and New York City. Listen wherever you get your podcasts. That thing was delicious. Do you think, like you know, looking at how different the world is now for people who are transitioning or identifying, you know, d- differently, yeah. 
do you feel any resentment or anger that it was so different for you and it was so lo- like I don't want to say that you wasted your life but you weren't able to live your mm. life for mm. so long I mean is that hard it, it does uh, it's less these days but it, it, it used to within the past you know four years it has sort of swung into my thoughts here and there about oh you know if I'd have done this if I'd have just done this 20 years ago I could have been living this life in my 20s you know I would have been a young man um I've essentially Katie <laughs> the worry <laughs> is I have transitioned into a middle-aged man which you means don't well you listen it's, it's all roll the dice isn't it I <laughs> I could literally go bald next week I could I'm already receding it's quite a um, thick head of hair and, today. well it's it's you know I could have I could have transitioned in my twenties, and I could have been a young man but out could there have you doing that. I don't know. No, well, That's this is the thing. thing. So, I'm a true believer in everything happens at exactly the right time. Agree. And I don't think uh, it's kind of hypothetical, but I wouldn't have been, and I wasn't strong enough back then mm-hmm. to do mm. it. And also, the world isn't. Uh, it wasn't what it is today. Mm-hmm. And I don't. I didn't have the support mm-hmm. I have today from family and friends. I've got a really good core lot of people. Are you close to your family present day now? Yeah, they're amazing. They're all behind me. They really celebrate my transition. And Wonderful. it's and it's interesting because there have been some. You know, you you say, did anybody suspect in mm. the past? Did anybody ask? And no, they never did. But since I've transitioned, you know. Uh, family members have said this makes a lot of sense and even well, my wife my wife has said this answers so many questions like it was the missing jigsaw yeah they're like the this is so right mm-hmm. this is so right since i posted the 10-year challenge mm. i've had quite a few messages from people um across the board um but there's one section uh, there's one demographic in particular and that is people who know they're trans and they're not out to anyone. They're married. Mm, They've so got lonely. kids. You know, they're they're in jobs. And I get these messages. Mm. And um, a lot of them have been along the lines of, you're so brave. In fact, it's a little bit of an in-joke in the trans community. We always get told we're brave. Mm. And most trans people just do not feel like that. Mm-hmm. This, is, this is a necessity that you do. Mm. It might seem brave, um, and I suppose it is to some extent, but it gets said so much that it's become a little bit of a sort of comedy. It's a bit meaningless <laughs> almost, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And the thing is, I always say, actually, I think it's more brave to not come out because you've got to live with that pain. Yeah. You've got to carry this. And so I think that's very brave. But the, the, the general vibe is that they're so deep set in their current life right. that they don't it's just unfathomable how to break out of that Gosh. and it's a very very hard one to answer or to respond to because you know all trans people are different I really can only speak for myself but so individual isn't it it's individual but the one key thing I always end up saying is it's never too late mm-hmm. to be happy I totally agree. It's never too late to start your life over again, no. ever. Even if you're waiting, you know, I mean, it's a terrible thing, isn't it? People say this in in unhappy marriages or something like, mm. um, oh, we're just waiting for the kids to grow to up. To leave school. And, and yeah, yeah. you know, it's it seems to be, you know, in any situation where, right, I'll just wait for this to happen in 10 years or five years. And 
to be honest, if that's what you feel you need to do mm. and you can bear it, then so be it because the message really is still the same. You, you, it's never too late to be happy. And in terms of how you view your life, like for me, I kind of separate my life to sort of pre and post what happens to me, mm. almost like two different people mm. and two different lives. That's not in a negative way or no. particularly positive. It's like a factual thing for me mm. because I feel like I had two identities internally and externally. Yeah. How do you see your life as an overview? Well, in, going back to that 10-year challenge mm. picture, um, it sums it up for me because actually... I don't look at old pictures that often, and that's have not... you destroyed them? No, you... no, no, no. I've got them, and it, and it's not because I can't or I won't. It's just that I'm kind of too busy. But do you keep them like on just in in your interior in your home? Are the we've pictures got we've, in frames? we've got a couple on mm. display. So but, it's not like a bereavement. Uh, no, no, it's not. It's not a bereavement. That that ten year challenge photo. I kind of you know, look at myself on the right, which is the picture of me now, or when I was recovering from flu, so I didn't even look that hot. <laughs> I look at that Damn. now and I think, <laughs> correct. And then when I look at the one on the left, which is me 10 years ago, I don't think incorrect. I kind of go, oh. Did you I think am. it's all one person then? Uh, yeah, I, I see it as a really as a really seamless timeline. There's no kind of... You're dead to me. Yeah. See, see, <laughs> it it could never be like that. See, I only ask that because I'm the opposite. I do see it as a bereavement. Okay. So if I see the picture, not the 10-year challenge picture, but if I see the picture of me post my acid attack, yeah. I can remember that girl because of photos, but I can't remember what it feels like to touch a skin that isn't thick and tough. Wow. I can't remember what it's like to wash your face and feel that kind of face that isn't plastic surgery and skin grafts, just because of pure memory now. And also the way I used to feel, that died when that happened to me. So And, and, you know, lots of therapies helped me get some of that back, but never all of it. Do you think that's because it was so fast, the change? Yeah, maybe. Yeah, because the word transition, it was was in seconds rather than uh, gradually. So transition, you know, my transition, a gender transition... It is not a fast thing. It's not overnight, Mm. you know, even when you feel the way you do inside. So externally, when you decide to medically transition, um, transition is the perfect word because it's actually a very slow process. Um, It's different for different people. Mm. um, But, you know, it's, it's been, I would say... You know, generally, uh, or for me, it took about a year and a half Mm. before I kind of looked in the mirror and went, oh, yeah, I look look like how I feel now. There's the man. Yeah. (laughs) There's the man. There he is. And so I think maybe that because it is such a, it's gentle Mm. in a way. If I woke up, you know, as much as I wanted it at the time, but if I woke up with a beard, and a, and a bigger jawline and various other things, I would have completely freaked out. Well, I, I can't have that. Yeah, I did wonder, like, about the mirror, because, so, say for me, I didn't really use mirrors for a, a, for a while when I was really, you know, in my medical journey. Yeah. And when I did, used to have to accidentally use mirrors for, like, teeth cleaning or public mm. loos and you catch yourself. Mm. 
like I had a mixture of feelings of shame and stuff, but also like shock and not recognizing my, not identifying with mm. the uh, reflection. And I had periods in the beginning, I think when I hadn't done enough work with psychiatrists of having these awful dreams that the whole thing had been a nightmare right. and it wasn't true. And then I'd go look in the mirror in the morning and be like, oh, fuck, it's true. Mm. And the reflection would remind me mm. I'm living the nightmare. Yeah. Did mirrors ever become difficult? Four. So obviously now I've transitioned. I mean, I'm in the mirror every day going, oh, yeah, look at you. <laughs> <laughs> Love it. No, you can't get uh, enough. Now they've got to like, get the mirrors away. The yeah. um, but before, um, in a female body, I used to hate having my picture taken. Mm-hmm. I used to try and avoid it at all costs. I used to hate looking in the mirror. Mm-hmm. That was my that was my nightmare. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, in fact, I used to hate... There was a good... Uh, two minutes every morning where I woke up and I'd be like, oh, God, there are bits missing and there are bits that I don't want there mm-hmm. on this body. Yeah, it's And it's the realisation when you wake up, because I used to dream male. As mm-hmm. a, You know, I used to dream... Uh, I used to dream my male old face. Body. Yeah, yeah, I understand it. And so you wake up and that disconnect is just like, oh, Christ. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's a good few minutes of adjustment every morning that I got used to. Even that became, it was so auto that it's like, you know, it was almost unconscious in a sense. I'd hardened, I'd hardened, I'd buried it, I'd covered it in cement and I'm standing on it Mm. and nothing I thought was going to come up. Mm -hmm. That's the only way I can describe it. But of course, along with that, I now understand that kind of when you bury stuff, Mm. and you use the word harden, Mm -hmm. you know, other things harden. Mm -hmm. And I think I was just so unhappy. Mm. I was just so unhappy, deep down unhappy, but Mm. on the surface, functioning. Mm -hmm. Um, And, you know, that's not to say there was no good... People can function with deep sadness locked away. Of course, it was compartmentalised. And, you know, that's not to say I didn't have good times. Mm -hmm. I did have good times on the top of that concrete that I was standing on. Well, functioning anorexics, alcoholics have some great times, but there's a lot of pain, you know. Yeah, and that is why I think, you know, I like to say core EJ. Uh, Core EJ made that rubber washer flip off that day Mm. and said, no, come on. Mm-hmm. You you can't do this anymore. Who oh. gave you the name EJ? Well, here's another thing. My <laughs> God, this is a real journey. I'm just digging, aren't this, I? <laughs> this is a real journey. So when I was born, I was, you know, everybody thought, we've got a little girl, mm-hmm. we'll call her, I guess, feminine name. Mm-hmm. That caused me so much pain. Mm-hmm. I used to absolutely hate it. That name would ring in my ears and I it would make me feel sick and... Um, it was when I went to college, mm-hmm. got to college, further education, uh, to retake some exams because school was a complete disaster. <laughs> yeah, OK. Why? So, because you weren't academic or because oh, you were suffering? Oh, all of it. I used to, I felt, I think, you know, a large part of it was I just felt really different. Mm-hmm. And I wasn't, I didn't fit in with the girls, mm-hmm. but I wasn't allowed to fit in with the boys' clubs. Mm-hmm. And I so desperately wanted to be in all the boys. You know, I wanted to do the football and I wanted to be hanging out with the boys, doing mm-hmm. the boys' stuff at lunch. But, of course, I looked like a girl. Mm-hmm. I was labelled a girl, so I couldn't do that. Mm-hmm. So, interestingly, when I got to college, 
to retake uh, a few of these exams, I uh, thought this is my moment. I've crossed over into a completely different space within Quick, society. Edit the <laughs> <laughs> so what I did was the first class I went to, and it really, I really felt like I was pushing the boat out. Mm. I thought, oh, I don't know if I'm going to get away with this. And so the first class. I think it was a teacher that was like more like, what do you want to be known as? You know, mm. so I just said, EJ. Wow, what it, a was just, it was just moment. it was off yeah. the top of my head, and from that point, everybody called me EJ, and it was fantastic. Yeah, it was great. quite so euphoric, I'd imagine. The only thing was, I mean, that that went on and on and on until I was about. 35 mm-hmm. and in all those years I kept here and there I would always get the odd person saying what's EJ stand for mm. and as soon as they asked me I'd get that feeling again because I didn't want to say mm. I didn't want to say it because uh, it, it just made me feel horrible so I thought right I'm going to legally change my name to mm-hmm. EJ so I did but unfortunately people still asked me <laughs> I was like, oh, God. I hadn't come out as trans then, obviously. Right, okay, yeah. So I, it, wasn't, it wasn't on the agenda to mm-hmm. change it to a more male name. So, yeah, EJ it was, legally. And then, you know, fast forward another, you know, almost 10 mm. years. And I'm in the position where I get to change it again. And I'll never forget this as well. You know, one evening, my wife and I were in the living room. And I was like, I've got to put a name to EJ for deed poll and so I can have this explanation what EJ means Mm -hmm. I need to put something against this EJ so we were in the living room like all night going is it Edward John you know what is it and I was like no because it has to sound like E and then I was like Ethan Mm -hmm. James yeah because you've got the sound Ethan James and I was like that's it so off to the deed poll again <laughs> I went and yeah I became um, I became Ethan James and it's great now because you know on the daily mm-hmm. people say oh, what's EJ sound for and you can just reply just James. like that and it's yeah. the truth mm-hmm. it is the it's truth the it's truth. authentically you again yeah. yeah so you talked at the start of the interview like you know you feel really privileged you know life has I, I hate the word but is normal as in your marriage you've got a child you've yeah. got a lovely house yeah. a career so similar thing to me, you know, you've, yeah. you've been through a journey and now you have what society sees as the aspirational norm. Mm. How old is your child? Eight. eight. Almost. Okay. She'll be eight in a, in a few weeks. Okay. And do you have any conversations with her around your past? My, my child's nearly five, so she is asking me questions yeah. right now. So when I came out to my, to my wife and I decided to transition, our daughter was nearly, well, she was four. Mm. And... I was really worried Mm. about telling her. I thought, I don't really know how to make this age appropriate or what to say or do I say anything? Is it the right time? You know, there was a massive worry. And um, I remember that um, she was watching the TV one day and I thought, right, this is it. So I went and sat down beside her. Well, it was it was really stunted. I was like, um, so, um, well, um, <laughs> anyway, what I was thinking is, and um, and so it went on like that for for a while until I until I got myself together, and I said, I think, um, I think I'm going to grow a beard, and that's all I said, mm. and um, that got her attention because she looked at me 
Mm. And she was like, like a wizard. <laughs> I love that. And I knew, character. I knew from that point on it was going to be okay because, you know, children have this amazing thing, which is no baggage. Well, they, they don't, don't judge your appearance. They don't have yeah. the baggage of society mm. telling them anything. They haven't really learned anything yet. So what you tell them is it. Yeah. So, um, I looked at her and I said, uh, well, maybe not quite like a wizard. <laughs> you know, I was already thinking Pressure about styling. Really <laughs> I was like, no, I don't want to look like a wizard. Um, but I, uh, she said, can I comb it? Because obviously she's got her dolls and her, she's a very girly girl. Yeah. She's got her little ponies and all the yeah. combs and accessories. And the, Bless her. She does all the combing of these manes and these hairdos. <laughs> and so for her... She was like, oh, I'm going to comb this beard. And she How was exciting. delighted. And I then followed it up and I said, look, you know, I'm going to probably look a bit different. Mm. And so we might want to come up with a new name for me because I don't think mummy's going to fit. Mm. And inside I was kind of like, you know, with my own almost 40-year-old baggage, I was a bit heartbroken because I was just like, oh, you know, I don't get. I don't really get that honour of being a mummy anymore. E, I know it's just a word, yeah, but it's a jewel in the crown, isn't it? Well, <laughs> yeah, I mean? yeah, of course. So, but I didn't really want to transfer any of that onto her because that's not her. That's truth. your stuff. Yeah, yeah, that's my stuff. And she was so excited about this beard and so excited about a new n- name. Yeah. And going back to the core of things, nothing else changes mm. in her world. Mm-hmm. You know, if you want to look at it another way, I'm a parent. Yeah, and I think that's all you are. You don't, they yeah, don't kind of... Exactly. I mean, all the only reason we have to come up for another name is because when we're in the supermarket, yeah. with me with my wizard beard yeah. being called mummy is not going to cut it out there. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, that it went really well and she calls me daddy now. Ah, oh, lovely. And you know what? It 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 turned out that mummy, it wasn't a loss mm-hmm. because daddy is equally as good. Absolutely. And it, and it feels right. You know, in this yeah. in this very gendered world we live in, it just feels right. Mm-hmm. But this is why we have the photos around. Okay. Because she doesn't really have any memory of anything else. There is absolutely no problem with her tracking that history. Again, knowledge is power. It's no secret. So it's a bit like when someone's adopted and it's always known. Yeah. It's not I, a secret. I wouldn't want it's anyone just... telling her anything she doesn't already know. We are a special family. Yeah. Um, all families are special. And we have a slightly different kind of history. And I think it's important for her to have her own great knowledge of what that is. Mm-hmm. I mean, it, it goes right back to what we were saying about at the beginning, about just me holding my hand up enough out mm. there to say, look, I'm doing this because I honestly think it's fine. Mm. Nobody should have a problem with this. Mm-hmm. And I certainly don't want my daughter growing up in a world where this is an issue. Yeah. It's, it's actually really simple. Um, I sort of want to arm her with that knowledge mm-hmm. so that, you know, whatever comes at her in life, you know, her being a woman, mm-hmm. her, you know, wh- whatever it is, she can arm herself with the knowledge that largely it's it's other people's issues and problems coming at you. Absolutely. You, you stand firm in what you believe in. You yeah. have all the knowledge and all the tools. And, you know, I'm hoping that she will grow into a, a strong young lady that can 
you know, stand on her own two feet. I've got a feeling she definitely will. <laughs> <laughs> now, you are um, a BBC TV presenter. Yeah. Um, God, that sounds weird. <laughs> sounds very posh, doesn't it? Actually, for people that want to watch your show, can you just give us a little plug of what the name and time it's on? Yep, so it's Money for Nothing. Mm-hmm. It's on BBC One Daytime at 3.45. Mm-hmm. I believe a new series is starting around March time. Mm-hmm. And it's amazing. It's about all things upcycling and making and craft. Wow. Okay. And uh, yeah, it's fantastic fun. And you are incredibly talented. If people want to see all your work, uh, yep. what's your Instagram handle? So my Instagram handle is at Hatchet and Bear. Mm-hmm. My website is Hatchet and Bear as well. Okay. And so is my Twitter and everything else. I try and keep it seamless. Very nice. Now, my, my final question for you is since doing this 10 year challenge yep. and you know, I want to say outing yourself. Well, it was always out there, mm. but kind of putting it on bigger platforms. Mm. Has it changed your life in any way? Yeah, I think that um, on a on a on a sort of quite selfish level, I feel better than I did before. Mm-hmm. Um, and again, not in a kind of song and dance way. No, I feel like I'm doing the right thing because I've already had. You know, it's. This is probably going to sound very cheesy because it's it's bandied around a lot. But if I could change just one person's life mm. by doing that, no, I mean um, this is an issue that people do kill themselves over. It's not yeah, that's not cheesy totally. to say that. It's no difficult job for me to hold my hand up and say, "Oi, look over here! I happen to be trans, and mm. I'm doing these amazing things. Mm-hmm. I do have laughter in my life every day." And it's all good. Do you want to finalise with a word of wisdom or a mantra or, a, or just a... I'm going to cement that again, that my all-time words of wisdom is whatever it is. You know, you don't have to be trans, but it's never too late to be happy. That, yeah. that thing that you keep putting towards the back of your mind or the mm-hmm. back of your heart, um, just go and do it. Absolutely, Because yeah. life is short. Life is so short, you know. Mm-hmm. And I'm so glad you did my podcast. <laughs> Thank you so much for having me. Thank you for coming on. You've been extraordinary, as the title should suggest. Thanks for listening to Katie Piper's Extraordinary People. If you haven't already, please subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. If you enjoyed this, please help us spread the word rate and review the show where you got this or share on socials.